Hey there, guys. Thanks so much for coming back to the show. Welcome to anyone new. And I always, always appreciate my returning listeners. Thank you. Today, I have part two of my three-part series with Susan Bratton, the intimacy expert. Now, if you've had the opportunity to hear part one, you know what a fun, energized, and knowledgeable guest she is. And she is my first female interview. One of the things I have loved about Susan is that she has such knowledge and experience about so many issues that I've addressed on this show over the years. And today does not disappoint as we get into more depth about open relationships and intimacy issues. I am so pleased to have Susan for this fascinating three-part series. So, without any further ado, please give it up again for Susan Bratton. This podcast is a proud member of the Pride 48 Podcasting Network. Check out more great shows at pride48.com. What do you think about the differences between open relationships and relationships where one of the partner is cheating on the other one because of agreements they might have made in their relationship? What agreement would someone make to allow another person to cheat? <laughs> you talk about like the 100 mile rule or something? No, no, I'm sorry. What what I meant was like, okay, um, we're boyfriends now, right? Okay, so we're going to be monogamous just with each other. Is that correct? Good. Okay. And you might go a few years that way, believing that everything's great, but maybe the boyfriend is cheating and you discover that. How complicated does it get? compared to open relationships, which I would still think could be rather complex in arranging those. Oh my God. Open relationships are so complex, Joey. Ha yeah, 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 yeah. The complexity. Um, agreements are requests. Boundaries are demands. Ah. That's a good distinction. Ah. And agreements are often better written down because what I think it means and what you think it means might be different. So a good way to figure out if you have an agreement and you both are agreeing on the same damn thing is to say, okay, what I think I heard you say the agreement is, is this, did I get it right? Right. That's repeating repeating it back to them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh no, that's not what I meant. (laughs) Right. And, you know, a lot of times people make agreements and they hide their true feelings. So they make the agreement to be monogamous, but they don't really want to be. And that's why you have to make agreements that truly serve you. And when you make an agreement with a person, you must first make the agreement with your higher self, with your spirit, with you, who you are in, inside you. And if that agreement isn't right for who you really are deep down inside, you can't make that agreement. You have to be able to really commit and honor the agreement. And then the other thing is that when there are transgressions to the agreement, they must be dealt with immediately. You cannot ignore them. You have to get them out. You have to be honest. You have to talk them through. And you have to figure out if you can make an agreement that can serve both parties. There are many times when cheating 
is where the person who is cheating is actually just trying to get their needs met in a relationship that isn't meeting their needs. So this word cheating is a very loaded thing. He cheated on me. Yeah. Well, maybe he cheated on you because his needs weren't being met. Let's let's really get into the reasons why this happened. Instead of immediately going to victim or victimhood or anger. Because this is a nut, this is a place where men get shortchanged in our society really badly. When men are raised in our society, and this is from my friend, Dr. Terry Reel. This is not my material. He has this thing called fierce intimacy. But one of the things he explains is that the masculine has this pecking order. The feminine is more oriented, more taught, and it's okay and acculturated to be team-oriented, community-oriented, where uh, we raise our little boys to be don't cry, suck it up, tears are for babies, be a man, you know, all this stuff, even even before we're adults. And when I do something, when I, when I make a mistake, I take it as a criticism. I take it as a rejection. I take it as I did something wrong and I went down in the pecking order. I fucked up. I'm mm-hmm. no good. I'm shit. Now I'm pissed and I'm the victim. And that negative spiral is happening to our little boys all over our country, probably all over our world. And it's totally unfair. And so when men emotionally, we, men don't get the, boys don't get the opportunity to have a ra- the range of emotions that their little sisters get. And then we wonder why there's so many angry men, lonely men, men who feel abandoned and rejected, because they never really got to process all the shit that happened to them. Because you know shit happens to all of us. It's life. Yeah. So if somebody is making an agreement with their boyfriend to be monogamous, but they inside really don't want to be monogamous are they doing it just to make the other person happy to pacify the other person yeah and to stay in the relationship and to not be let go and to get their needs met and to do what they feel is the right thing i mean there's a lot of a lot of reasons why people they're not honest with themselves yeah they don't know how long it'll last I mean, there's a million reasons why. I always wanted to believe that it was, they're just not honest with themselves. I always want to believe that the person has the intention, truly wants to be, but can't for whatever reason. I mean, things change all the time with people, you know? Who knows? Who knows what it is at any given time? I do think that people are doing the best they can do at all times with one caveat. One out of 10 people is, a, is on the sociopathic scale. One out of 10 people is really just a creep. So there are mm. a lot of creeps out there. And a lot of times when people have a run-in with a creep, uh, they think they did something wrong. They don't really understand, oh my God, I had a run-in with a creep. I had a run-in with a sociopath. I had a run-in with a narcissist. I had a run-in with a liar. I had a run-in with a thief. 
ah, it's not your fault. Mm. You were doing the best you could do. You've got to forgive yourself. You know, this is an interesting category of relationship too, and that's betrayal and forgiveness. Yeah. I have this, um, this little technique I call the magic pill method. Because one of the things that I've found for people in relationship is that when one or the other person has some kind of a health crisis, and that, that can be emotional, physical, it's always a combination, right? We're, we are a, a whole being. Uh, and they can't have sex the way they used to have sex for the short term or the long term. They stop having any kind of intimacy. It's like, oh, well, if we can't do that thing that we've done, this goes back to the like one path to pleasure. <laughs> mm-hmm. If we can't do that thing, then, you know, we're not doing anything. And then we stop touching and then we get bitchy with each other. And then we in- emotionally disconnect because we're not having the intimacy that keeps us connected. And then we just get miserable and cranky and grumpy. Now, pour, pour some fuel on that fire, which is that... Oh, as men age and their testosterone declines, they turn into grumpy old ladies, right? They get, <laughs> that's what happens. They get grumpy and then they get afraid and they get scared of shit. And now they're just like out of resources to deal with anything. So when a couple hits this point where they're not intimate anymore, My magic pill method is a way to sit down and talk to each other. It's at magicpillmethod.com, by the way. You can have it for free. Mm -hmm. I wrote it for free. Mm -hmm. Um, You you make a list of the things you used to do that you miss. And then you circle the things that you think you could still do that aren't impacted by your health issue. And you sit down on the couch and you first you eat a meal together. And you do not drink alcohol. And then you sit down on the couch and you hold hands and you go through your list and they go through their list and you explain what you miss, what you wanted, what you want to do that you don't do anymore that you'd like to do again, that you still could do. And then you go, you go away and you, you think about those things and then you come back together and you try to make one list of things you can start doing together to rekindle your intimacy. The next piece is that you talk about what the, what the problem is, what the, what the problem is that's either physical, emotional, or both, and how you're going to solve that problem. And I know we're going to get into this because we're going to be talking about sexual biohacking, ageless sexuality, reversing sexual issues. And sometimes those are the biggest issues in stopping having sex. Other times it's cancer, it's, you know, it's, it's having an accident. It, it can be any number of health issues. And then you figure out Who's going to, how you're going to solve the problems, if you can fix what's wrong, how you're going to fix them together while you're doing the things you can do and trying to fix what's wrong. So it could be like erectile dysfunction is a really, really common one. And in the, in the hetero world for women, women end up having very painful sex because their vaginas get super dry. So there's, and oftentimes for men, it's complete desensitization desensitization, loss of orgasmic intensity, inability to achieve a climax. They can't ever get over the hump. They just can't come. That's super common. You know, so there's all these issues that hold people from, you know, 
having the connection that they need. But the one that's very interesting that affects about 20% of relationships is betrayal, going back to cheating, unresolved betrayal. And that's one where you need to go talk to somebody because you have to be able to understand what happened, how it happened, why it happened. You need to be able to forgive it. You need to be able to forget and move on and let it go and find compassion for the person you feel betrayed you. And that takes some work. Isn't there probably a, um, a very strong distrust that uh, fear, let me say fear, fear that it will happen again. If you, if you accept it, if you forgive it, if you try to forget it and move on, who's to say it's not going to happen again. And then you'll be up, you know, right back in the same boat. Well, you have to understand what the motivations for the first round were. What were the conditions that created it? They may be conditions that never happen again. Yeah. You know, with all of the the dating apps that are out there, back going back into the 70s and 80s, the gay bars, when yeah. you would meet people and hook up there, the ability to have sex outside at night in bushes and parks, yep. you put all that together. And I think sometimes it's just hard for someone that has, you know, if we, if we call oral sex and everything beyond that sex... Sometimes gay guys are with thousands of people over a lifetime. Yeah. And so then to, you know, because you could go outside in bushes and have sex with 10 people in one night. So yeah. the numbers can add up. Oh, so trust me. Maybe, maybe it's, it's, it's must be hard. Well, I, I deal somewhat with it, but knowing that you okay you only have are going to have that one dick the rest of your life and as much as you want to be monogamous as much as you only want to be with that person you're you're used to having just so much variety yeah it must be difficult yeah i don't know i don't do it myself so i i i like a lot of dick <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm with okay. you okay <laughs> i can <Yeah>. relate <laughs> Yeah, it's just, I, I know that a lot of gay couples do struggle with that. And especially when there is a big age difference between the guys. Yeah. And I, I see that a lot myself. I am 22 years older than my husband, who I've been with for 10 years. Um, you know, sometimes the younger guy is looking for a daddy, you know, whatever that may mean to them. But what what do you think is the maximum age difference that a gay couple could have and still have a successful relationship? Is there a maximum? No. It is so dependent on the two individuals. And for some people, you know, a lot of young guys, when they're young, they like a daddy. And a lot of guys, when they're older, they love a young guy. And that's like such a great pair. I mean, it's one of the most natural pairs there are. Really? Oh, for sure. I mean, that's very similar to, in the hat world, the young woman and the older man. Well, yes. Everybody but, likes a daddy, Joey. But, 
But you know, society looks at the older guys with the younger girls and think that she's a gold digger and he's just a creepy old man. Yeah, fuck society. That's, you gotta live your fuck life. Society. Fuck, fuck society. Fuck society. Fuck what yeah. everybody thinks. Live your life. Get what you want. Have a blast. Enjoy yourself. The only caveat I have with, with a thousand dicks is sexually transmitted infections. And sure. I mean, millennials, they don't even think about AIDS. I mean, like, it doesn't even enter their mind. You know, we, you and I, we grow up with that. We went through that. Yeah. And now that there's prep, guys are like, I don't have to wear a condom because I can get an S, I can get a shot. You know, I, I can get rid of my STIs. I'm not worried. But that always worries me because every virus that you get, Every bacterial infection that you get, it takes its toll on your immune system. Whether it's HPV or chlamydia or syphilis or gonorrhea, you know, just because you have PrEP and you're not going to die from HIV doesn't mean that you're not essentially putting a notch in, the, you know, like, like, cut, like a cut. It's like death by paper cuts, everything you get. You know, I had a COVID long haul for the last two years. Last week was two years. I didn't get out of bed for a year. And for the last year, I've been up and starting. I'm finally getting back to who I am. Like even in the last couple of weeks, I can feel my mental acuity beginning to return in ways that I was fearful would never get back. Wow. You know, I got. Oh, that's horrible. It, I mean, it's it it can it can take away your life, and I didn't even have COVID that badly. I didn't go in the hospital or anything, but I had long yeah. haul chronic yeah. fatigue. It's a virus. Same with herpes. I mean, everybody's like, ah, oh, herpes, no big thing. I've been married to my husband for thirty years, and I have never given him herpes. I've had herpes since I was twenty, and a boyfriend cheated on me, came home and fucked me, gave me herpes. It killed. It was so painful. And the rest of my life, I've had to deal with those outbreaks over time. And, you know, who knows what the long-term effects of that virus are? I mean, her- herpes in your on your lips can give you trigeminal neuralgia. They call that the suicide illness. It hurts so much you want to kill yourself. So, I do think there are downsides to being sexually, very sexually active. That's why in in my personal, because as a sex expert, I know way too much, right? Like, I mean, yeah. it's just like, oh my God, there's 20 kinds of sexually transmitted infections. And a lot of them are things like, um, you know, things that give you like lesions or uh, there's bugs and there's, there's skate. There's, there's just like, STIs are gross. And that's how they're transmitted. That's their means of transmission. They're not aerosol, (laughs) like a COVID, you know? They all have their way of getting around. And so the only thing that I would say is, one of the things that I like about kind of non-monogamous open relationship strategies is that when you have something called a fluid bonded group, of people, that's the kind of thing that I'm in. That's my practice, which is everybody had to get STI tests and screen in before they came into the group. And then, and there's four of us in the group right now, two men and two women. 
And that works well for us because we know we're protected from getting more diseases. And so we're not having sex outside our group. And over the years, people have come in our group, come into our group and gone out of our group and come into our group and gone out of our group. And that works for us. Now, everybody makes their own risk decisions. I'm just telling you how I handle it because there are a lot of people who are just as afraid as I am of getting STIs. And this is a way you can have multiple partners, more variety without cheating that is much safer. So I think it's a worthwhile discussion. Yeah. When PrEP was first coming out, um, I used to talk to people, uh, my therapist being one of them, and saying, you know, back in the 70s when we were all having our sexual revolution and having sex with everyone, yeah. we didn't, of course, know that AIDS was waiting to come along. Yeah. And now that there's PrEP, a lot of people think, well, you know, great, I won't get HIV. Well, number one, there's a new HIV that has started in Europe that's supposed to be more powerful. And number two, we just don't know what the next thing coming along is. And I, if anything, COVID has taught us that you never know day to day. Yeah that something new can come along because there's always the theory that, you know, nature has a way of reducing the population by when we cure enough of our diseases, more diseases come along to try to reduce the population. That's a, a theory anyway. Um, so I don't necessarily think that prep is an, you know, a be all end all for everybody. They still have to be so careful. I agree. It's, you know, I, I, I know a lot of younger people that have not gone through the AIDS crisis. I know that uh, they do. They just think they can take a pill and everything will be fine. And they're starting to very much go back into behaviors that from the 80s through at least 2000, people were, were staying away from. Now they're going back into those dangerous behaviors again. What would you say are the dangerous behaviors? Just having uh, sex where you're allowing the other person to ejaculate inside of you without a condom. Yeah. Um, maybe not just that person, but if you're at a party, you might take 10 people that do that to you. It's just, you know, pushing the boundary. I mean, you're just asking for trouble at that point. Yeah, I agree. Very dangerous. And I think a lot of people are self-destructive in that they kind of know that, but they, they don't have enough self-esteem in themselves to think that they're, they're worth more than that. When I was younger, I, I was a rather unmasculine man growing up, and I was bullied at school. And I decided, you know what? I'm going to lift weights, I'm going to become big, I'm going to become a bodybuilder, and I'm going to work in gyms. And then people will want to be with me, then people will find me attractive. And I created that body, and sure enough, everybody wanted me. They didn't want what was inside of me, though, they wanted what the outside was. Mm -hmm. I still didn't have enough self-esteem, so I was letting anybody sleep with me that wanted to because... I felt that was all I had to offer. I don't know. 
I, I think that a lot of bodybuilders are some of the most sensitive people there are, because I think that, that bu- the bodybuilding is armor. I, I dated a man once who was, for, for, for many, many years, I dated this man. And um, he was big, really big. And that was one of the things I liked about him. I like a big bear. And uh, God, he was delicate so delicate. But he wouldn't let on about it. But of course I knew. I was his lover for many years. I knew how delicate he was, how sensitive he was, and how that whole thing was just an armor, just a, an affectation to cover up his sensitivities. Mm-hmm. And in some ways I wish that he would have allowed himself to express his sensitivities more. You know, this goes back to how, how we do such a disservice to our young men because we don't l- allow them the full range of emotional expression. I think things are changing, though. Everything's getting better, Joey. Everything is. Oh, God, I hope so. It so is. is that is that what toxic masculinity is? Because I never understood that term. It's, it's people that are not allowed to show their feelings growing up, so therefore they, they just have this bullish attitude about everything. I don't think so. I think toxic masculinity is more like um, men who think because they're a man that they're they're in charge, they're the ones, they're the deciders, they are bullies, Um, they think less of of other people, Um, they're the ones who know everything, they're the ones who get to have everything. I think that's more what toxic masculinity is. Okay. You you just hear the term everywhere now, and I just never quite got it. You know, there's this this term called noblesse oblige. It's a French term, and it means um, oblige the king. It's the way royalty feel, because they're royalty. Well, I'm the king, so everyone has to bow down to me. I think toxic masculinity is like penis oblige. It's like, well, I'm the big swinging dick here. It's that. Mm, that's a good way to look at it. Add a little white supremacist stuff in there, and uh, you really got a big fucking asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Don't miss part three, the conclusion of this series, on the air next Monday. May 2nd. And coming out this weekend is a story time episode that I don't quite have the right title for yet, but I think you will get a smile as the stupidity that I always seem to manage. And this story is from my high school days. So if you aren't subscribed to the show, please consider doing so. I don't want you to miss the rest of the series with Susan as well as my story time. Until we speak again, my friends, have an awesome week, and thanks for being here. Bye for now.